Previously, on Snicktoons. I was joined once again by my good pal, Ryan Sanio of SanioCast, and together he and I broke down X-Men The Animated Series Season 4, Episode 1, The Return of the Juggernaut. And uh, it was a bit of a goofy episode, but we had a good time breaking it down. And of course, before we uh, we did our episode recap, we discussed some of our recent uh, Marvel and especially X-Men centric gaming. I've been playing a lot of Marvel United in light of the uh, most recent campaign that they had just finished up on Kickstarter. Meanwhile, Ryan had been getting like elbows deep into Marvel champions. Uh, and of course, he had some really great things to say about some of the current X-Men characters that were recently added to the game. And it uh, it got me pretty hyped up for it, and I'm pretty excited. So if you haven't listened to last episode, uh, make sure you go back and check it out. Uh, and of course, stay tuned as myself and returning special guest break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 4, Episode 2, A Deal with the Devil. All right, Bub, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back with a returning special guest, and uh, no offense to my other guests, because I know that they listen to the show, but this one is probably my favorite returning special guest, uh, and not just because this show wouldn't have even come back without this guy kind of poking and prodding, um, but just our conversations are always so much fun. So I am welcoming back Brett Scott of Marvel Plus, well, I, I guess Brett Scott of Brett Scott Productions now, right? Yes, yes. Uh, well, th- thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to be here, man. Uh, this is I'm always available to come talk X-Men, the animated series or Wolverine in general. So anytime, anytime you want me to come on. I'm going to be here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Brad Scott Productions. I, uh, I I kind of created this umbrella company to uh, to to kind of lord over all of my little podcasts and YouTube channel and, and all the creative works that I have. So, uh, yeah, thanks for acknowledging that. I thought it was a, it was kind of like a milestone in my, in my, uh, little hobby podcasting career. So yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I I know that, uh, you know, you're a very goal oriented individual and I know that that was one of your big goals was, was to get that next step, uh, you know, taken care of. So that was awesome. So congratulations to that. Um, it's like you, you got your own MCU now. You have like a podcast universe where all of your podcasts can start crossing over and everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm going to start doing crossover episodes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I, I, just kind of a question that I ask everybody when they come back on is, uh, you know, what kind of X-Men stuff have you been up to? You, have you been up to anything in the fandom? Strangely. Uh, I usually do not have X-Men news to report, uh, but but recently I have decided I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the Claremont run all the way through. And uh, so I started with Giant Size X-Men and then just started right after that with uh, issue 94. And I'm about, I think about 15 issues into that. And, um, you know, right now it's not like crazy gripping, uh, but it, it's starting to get there. We're starting to get like the Phoenix stuff coming into play. And, um, 
it's just fun because I've never actually read the run, and it's really cool to to go and actually read this like iconic run. And I know it only gets better throughout. Um, I know it starts off, uh, you know, a, a little slow burny, and then uh, kind of ramps up and just becomes epic for like ten years. So I I can't wait uh, to get further into it. But yeah, it's just something that like, I've always told myself I was going to do, and I'm just finally getting around to it, and it's it's awesome. I'm having a great time with it. Yeah, dude, like, there, I mean, there's not really much that you can say about the Claremont run other than it's definitive. Um, it's it's the measuring stick that all X-Men stories are compared to even still today, you know, even though it's been 30 years since Claremont was the main driving force behind the X-Line. I mean, he's come and gone and he's had different ongoings and miniseries that he's written you know, in the in the 30 odd years that he's left the books. But I mean, he he was the main driving force behind all X-Men stories for like 16 years. Uh, so it's it's definitive, like all, the best versions of every character uh, that existed at the time, you know, were redefined by him. Cyclops, Gene, Beast, like all those characters, they were all redefined by him. And then every character that, that came in during his run, uh, he has the definitive version of that character. Uh, you know, the, the best rogue was written by Claremont, the best gambit, even though he only wrote the character for like yeah. a year, was written by Claremont, the best storm, the boss, all of that stuff. And, and the best thing about the Claremont run, too, is like eventually you'll get to a part where there's like nine spinoffs happening and most of them are minis. But like he jumps in and he's like, hey, guess what? I'm writing X-Men, but now I'm writing New Mutants and now I'm writing the Wolverine ongoing for, you know, the first 20 issues give or take and then i'm also writing uh uh Exliber, you know like he, he was the driving force behind all that stuff so dude i'm i'm excited because those are those are the best x-men stories that you'll ever read bar none yeah and do, well, do you think that x-men the animated series would exist without those stories because I, I feel like so many of these stories are pulled directly from there they're like different kind of versions of them but mm-hmm. essentially the same story boiled down into a 22 minute episode yeah, no, I I really don't. Um, like we would have had something more like the Pride of the X Men, you know, if we didn't have the Claremont run to fall back on. Um, yeah. Maybe Pride of the X Men would have continued, but I mean, even that was like it's the the Claremont team, you know, it's like Kitty as the as the young teenage girl, the the audience um, like self identifying character. Uh, even that like was so heavily Claremont, even though the story itself didn't really adapt anything that he'd written it, like you can see the influence from from his x-men run so I, I i doubt it um i i don't think x-men would have been as popular to to merit a cartoon in the first place yeah. without without claremont and with the exception of the spider-man cartoon you look at all the other 90s animated series that fox tried to put out for marketing man and silver stick four and and none of those shows like I don't know anyone who's like, oh yeah, that one of those shows was my favorite. It was like it's always either X Men or Spider Man or both, and then maybe someone watched one of those other shows. Yeah, but they they weren't as good. They didn't have like that that history, that sixteen year history of comic stories to draw upon to to tell great stories to begin with. And I think that if it weren't for Claremont, the X Men today wouldn't be as popular. But it certainly wouldn't have been. Uh, as as popular as it was in the 90s to to merit its own cartoon show and then several more cartoon shows after that and a live action movie series and all that yeah 
yeah, I, I do feel like, like, and, and it's it's awesome that someone can come in, um, you know, years after characters are created and become the definitive voice of those characters. Like that's that's really saying something because it, when you come into a franchise, usually it's like your spin on things, your version of things. But you know, he he's got the version of things that if people know the X Men, that's the version they know. Period. Like if you're brand new to the X Men, you're probably learning learning about them through the eyes of Chris Claremont, like through this animated series or through one of the films or something like that nowadays. So people that are new to it are just getting him as their first voice. And then, you know, people who were reading it back then, I I kind of wonder what it was like to, to experience this run firsthand. Like when you're like, Oh yeah, I remember the X-Men, they started doing reprints, you know, like, whatever, 10 years ago, and uh, I, I wish they would have some new stories, but unfortunately, no. And then this this new guy comes on, this new team is is founded, and then I just imagine what that's like, like reading it month to month back then. Like, it had to be, it had to be crazy. It had to be. Yeah, uh, like yeah. going into a comic shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like going into a comic shop and seeing giant size X-Men uh, on, on the, on the rap there and being like, who the heck are these characters? Like, this isn't X-Men and picking it up and like just being able to, to fall in love with these characters, all these brand new X-Men and everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird and rare that, um, not the original creator has like the definitive run. Like you look back at like all the years of Fantastic Four and it's like, yeah, Stan Lee's original run with Kirby, like that's the definitive run like those first 50 60 issues of fantastic four like that's the best stuff until like mark wade comes in i think in the 90s we have like wade and burn working together on on fantastic four like it's not good again until you know almost 30 years later same thing with amazing spider-man like up until the uh the david michelini and and todd mcfarlane run on amazing spider-man it was like maybe the first 150 issues were super important, which is like the Stan Lee. And then when he leaves right after issue hundred and I think Jerry Conway comes in as the writer for like the next 50 issues or so. And then there's like, there's nothing definitive until almost the nineties. Um, but even going back, it's like, Oh yeah, if you're starting with Spider-Man, you got to start at the beginning. You have to read Stan Lee's Spider-Man. If you're doing fantastic before you have to start at the beginning, you have to slot through silver because it's actually really good and mostly important things came from the silver age run whereas like with x-men it's like now nah, you can skip it like if you want to read issue number one because that will give you an introduction to magneto and xavier yeah. and the, the five originals and then just skip all of it because none of it is important and none of it is good yeah. and then just jump in with giant size that's all you need to know like maybe read the the havoc first appearance and the polaris first appearance since they're in giant size but otherwise, no, just start with giant size because that's when X-Men really starts. That's when all the important groundwork is starting to be laid for all of the future stories. Like, it's rare that nowadays that anything references any of the Silver Age stuff. Yeah. I. The, the, um, other than that, are you doing are you collecting any uh, X-Men memorabilia? No, I, this, is, this is literally it. I'm, I'm reading uh, I'm reading the Claremont run and... <clears throat> Just really anticipating X Men in the MCU still, you know. I I can't I can't stop. Um, I this is it's a ongoing theme of my podcast, just working some sort of conversation about the X Men into every single episode that 
hasn't even featured any X-Men yet. Um, but I'm anxiously awaiting them in the MCU and really hoping that they pull a lot of stuff from this run and, and maybe don't pull as much from like ultimate X-Men and stuff like that. Like I, not, not to say that that wouldn't be cool. I feel like it worked really well for the Avengers. I feel like, um, there's probably some great stories in there. That's another run that I haven't, I haven't read any ultimate X-Men. Um, I know you like the ultimate line quite a bit, at least at some point. Um, so maybe that's something I'll dive into at some point, but yeah, right now I just, I'm enjoying this run and hoping they adapt some of this classic stuff. Like I want to see some we've never seen play out on screen. I'm wanting to see like, maybe you do the giant size story. Maybe that's the first X-Men film after you get a couple, uh, uh, solo films out of the way, introduce some characters on their own. And then you, you come together and, and do, instead of starting with the original five for a move for a whole movie or a whole couple you know, a trilogy or whatever, maybe you just jump right in, uh, and, and, and do like the Crook Hobo story where they're, the X-Men need to be rescued. Yeah, they, they can do it similar to um, like the Ant, the first Ant-Man movie, right? Where we're picking up with, with Scott Lang as Ant-Man, but right. in the MCU, even he's not the first, he's not the first Ant-Man. And they kind of go back and they hint at the, the previous generation, you know, the, the original Ant-Man. And man and wasp with with Hank and Janet, and we get a little bit of backstory there, but not a whole lot. It's enough to to fill us in, yeah, um, and be like, oh yeah, these characters exist outside of the other Avengers stuff, but but they existed. Um, they could do something like that with X Men, where it's like, oh yeah, there there was this original other team at some point, you know, five years in the past or whatever, um, and then now they've they've been missing from a mission or or something, and so now they have to form the giant size team and, and send them in to go to go rescue that team. Like that would that would absolutely work, and plus it gives it's like all right, if people like these other versions, we can always go to the past and explore that, or stuff yeah. from the past can then influence stories now and so they can just fill in the blanks as they as they go along but we're we're following like the cool x-men you know the wolverines the storms the nightcrawlers the the colossi uh you know all the good all the good characters (laughs) i like colossi that's fantastic (laughs) yeah no i i would love to see if they did x-men when they finally do x-men do like the opposite of Captain America, the first Avenger, right? Like his whole movie was in the past. And then at the very end, he wakes up and he's in present day. Like I would love to see like a days of future past movie where the entire movie is like 150 years in the future. The Sentinels yeah. are running earth. There's like, you can see in the background, like broken down monuments of cat, like, cause they, they redid the statue of Liberty, right? Like in, in no way home, they were redoing the Statue of Liberty to hold Cap's shield. So, like, maybe yeah. in this version, the Statue of Liberty's fallen down, and you can see, like, a broken Cap shield, like, way yeah. out in the bay or something. So you're like, oh, man, this is, like, way in the future or whatever. And then, like, at the very end of the movie, like, Bishop or Cable or whoever, you know, whatever time traveler you want, manages to come back into, like, present-day MCU. And he's like, whoa, this is way weird. Like, where the X-Men don't even exist yet. Like, what's going on? And then there's this whole mystery of, like, where are the X-Men? Like, I don't know. That that could work. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely could. And then, you know, 
it, it'll turn out somehow that the, the mystery of why the X-Men aren't there is because of something that happened to change the timeline. Right. And then mm-hmm. you just go from there. You just you just continue on right from there. And you could, like you said, jump right in with the cool X-Men. <laughs> I don't mean to throw shade at the 05 because, like, I'm a big Col- or Colossus. I'm a big Cyclops and Gene fan. Like, I love mm-hmm. uh, Beast. Uh, although I like my preferred, like the best version of Beast is the cartoon Beast anyway. Like comic book Beast yeah. is fine. Present day Beast sucks. Like I hate current Beast in the comics. He's terrible. But like Iceman, Archangel, like I love all those characters. So it's, I, I don't mean to throw shade at them, but I mean, come on, like the giant sized team is so much more dynamic and electric and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, the only, I, the only time I've tried to read like the classic um, Silver Age stuff is like it's been a slog. It, it's not that it's not that they're not cool, but I mean you know it's it's sixty storytelling. It's very like generic, uh, and and it just seems like it takes a long time to get through an issue. Uh, but yeah, I mean I I love the characters. I just kind of would rather see them the the seventies version, the eighties version of those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when you, I mean, even with Claremont's narration, it's like, I, there's probably more words in a Claire, in a Claremont X-Men comic than even like a yeah. Stan Lee <laughs> X-Men comic, but it's yeah. better. It's like the narration is just, it's, it's more engaging. It brings the audience in and like the dialogue is all really good. Um, when, when I went through and read the Silver Age, I like the first time I tried and I got like 10 issues in and I'm just like, Oh my, this is taking me like four years to yeah. read these like 10 issues. I hate this. Yeah. Um, eventually I kind of forced myself to go back and I just didn't read any of the narration boxes. I only read the, the dialogue boxes. Oh, so like I go. read it like a modern comic <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, okay, this is a lot better. And I was, was able to get through like the 66 issues or whatever in like a month and a half instead of. Like, meanwhile, Cyclops is and he slowly raises his hand up and slowly opens his visor so that just a fraction of his power can get through. And I'm like, I don't need any of this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need to read this. <laughs> nice. All right. So so other than X-Men, uh, which I mean, just the Claremont run alone is like a Herculean effort. So so kudos to you for, for doing that. But like you're going to be your X-Men fandom is going to be so much more enriched because it is the definitive X-Men. But other than and other than that, have you been up to any other like comic book stuff, like any other Marvel or, or even DC? Yeah, actually. Um, so I'm trying to get our buddy Kurt Schmidt uh, to enjoy Watchmen because uh, strangely wow. enough, Kurt, big comic book guy, has never read Watchmen, um, never seen the Watchmen film, never watched the HBO series Watchmen. Like he he's he said he started to, to try to read uh, the original comics and, and never got through them. And I'm like, how, how, how do you wow. not, you know, finish that out? Um, but I recently discovered that there, there's a, um, they did a 12 part motion comic of, of Watchmen as well. And that's on HBO right now. And, um, so I've been working my way through that, just, just enjoying watching the motion comic. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm always trying to throw, throw stuff at people like with you. I'm like, Hey, you got to watch a mission impossible, man. You've got to get into the series. <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to like bring people onto my team about stuff. And, and, uh, 
with Kurt, he's like, yeah, I never realized you were such a Watchmen fan. I'm like, I am. And you should really be. And I haven't engaged with any of the, the, the spinoff stuff, the um, Doomsday Clock stuff or anything like that. Um, but just the original, uh, the, the original Watchmen graphic novel um, and and the the film, which I thought was fantastic. And I thought that changing the ending worked really well for the film version, actually. Um, but I do find, uh, you know, the, the original ending, um, way more comic book, way more science fictiony. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's so much fun, especially when they revisit that in the series. I love that the series was a direct sequel to the comic and not to the film. Like it, it was so fantastic. And that's actually what, what made me go back and read the original Watchmen was seeing that series and going, what's going on here? And then I'm like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess the comic did end differently and I, I wanted to actually see that. So I went back and read it and I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is fun. And I see why that they did the direct sequel to the comic rather than trying to continue on with the movie. I remember when they were talking about that Watchmen series, which by the way, if people haven't watched, if you're in a Watchmen at all, but you, you haven't watched the HBO Watchmen series, it's some of my favorite stuff of the past, like five years. It, it's so, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, very strange and uh, just very science fictiony, very comic book. And if you're into that and you want to see a, a very comic book version of um something on screen, like that's that's an amazing, amazing series. Um, and it stands alone. Too. It's not like like oh man what but there was only one season yet yeah, it was meant to be one season it's like a mini series and it's really damn good have you seen it no I actually haven't watched it um I have oh you're like HBO Max so I probably should I love I love the comic um and and I can't wait about the movie whereas like I I really love the first two acts of the movie I thought they were fantastic adaptations of the source material um and then I understand you know for for a movie. The the whole yeah. ending of the comic probably wouldn't really work on film um, as, as the way that it does in the comics. And so changing it up right. uh, made sense. It, it kind of sucks, but, you know, it's you got to do what you got to do. And, yeah, like for the movie that they set up, the ending actually makes perfect sense. So I, I actually really yeah. liked it. Um, I got like the director's cut, which had like 40 extra. You know, Zack Snyder is he's like, let's see if we can cram like nine more hours into this. Yeah. Um, trying to, he's like, I think like he takes the, the, the extended Lord of the Rings, like very personally. And he's like, Oh, PJ's daring me to, to do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he's got to throw as much as he can in there. And it is like, and it makes it better if you like the source material and you break the movie up and, and watch it like as, as if the movie itself is a series. Um, yeah, I, I liked it, but yeah, I never got around to the, to the series. I should check it out. You absolutely should, especially if you like, you like the original ending and, um, it, it's just, and, and I feel like it can be, when they did that, it can be done better now. Like, and we've had so much experience with comic book movies now because the original came out, what, 2009? 2000? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Think, so, you know, we were just starting out the MCU back then. It's like, now it's a different world in comic book film. And, and I feel like the technology's better and they were able to, they, they were able to tell that story because they do, they go back and they tell you, um, they show basically the original ending and it's fantastic, man. Just seeing like, I don't want to give anything away for people who, who haven't read or seen the series. Um, but 
it's definitely something that is not easy to show or to work into um, a TV series or movie. And they did it brilliantly. It was like, okay, we're ready for this now. I don't think we were ready for something like that. I think you're right. The original ending audiences were not ready for something like that. They'd have been like, what, (laughs) what? That was the most (laughs) random ending I've ever heard of. Like that, you know, it would have caught people off guard and they'd have been like, that's stupid. But I think nowadays watching it, they'd be like, wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think after after Avengers one, um, I think people are more open to that mm-hmm. sort of a you know, those, those concepts. Yes, in their uh, in their superhero movies. Up to that yeah. point, we had like Iron Man one, yeah. Spider Man, and we had uh, like even the Dark Knight. It's like we were this as a, as a as a culture. You know, our superhero movies had to be grounded; otherwise, they wouldn't work. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, the ending of Watchmen, it was like, nope, you lost me. You had me and you completely lost me. Yes. Um, so they had to change it up and make it more grounded and, you know, real world kind of like present day stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think if it actually if the movie actually came out in the, the era that it took place, like I think people would have been receptive to that sort of thing, too. Um, but like just where we were as a culture in like 2008, 2009, 2010, it was like, no, nah, we want our superheroes to be on the arc like street corners like that's what we want but yeah i think now people are are super open to to all of that stuff like the crazier the better the 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 more cosmic the better you know yeah i I think that might be one of the reasons why it it the story worked so well the original story uh because no one would see that coming like that it was so like what like it and I, f- I feel like because the story was so grounded up until that, like it, it was so rooted in like this could it, it, it's an alternate reality it's taking place in. Right. Like what would have happened if these events would have happened and um, a very different 1985 is is on screen or in the comic that than what we actually got. And um, I think that 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 crazy ending to the book was it was pretty out there for like such a grounded story, like a much more grounded story than you're used to from superhero comics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with the film uh, and same thing with the series, everything else feels so grounded that it's like, it, it almost makes the the wildness of it believable. You're just like, I, you know, and especially nowadays with how much conspiracy talk there is and stuff about like government conspiracy <laughs> talk and, Project Blue Beam and stuff like this. Like, I absolutely yeah. feel like audiences would resonate with with the original ending right now. No, I I agree. And and the the comic itself was written like in the late eighties, right? It was like eighty eight or eighty nine, I think, when it, that it, that uh, the original Watchmen series came out. Anyway, so it was like it was already before the fall of the Soviet Union, um, mm-hmm. and like the people that were reading this comic in real time we're we're looking like staring in the face of like nuclear armageddon um and and being like what could possibly bring these two sides together like there's no way they can reconcile um and you know we had all this sci-fi and all that stuff alien things um in in pop culture cosmic stuff uh so so i think that the ending that that alan moore gave us um 
what was an easier pill to swallow even back then it was like oh yeah i can definitely see like some sort of giant global conspiracy of this sort bringing these two sides together because that's really like what other option do we have uh yeah. whereas looking looking back at the the collapse of the soviet union through the the 2009 lens it was like no nope, it was anticlimactic like their economy just crumbled and then everything just split up uh, that's a little that's a little like, I don't know if like the world wouldn't have fallen for that. But no, like obviously the world would have because the people that were reading it in real time, they were facing that and, and they 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 swallowed it. They're like, oh, yeah, totally. This is absolutely what it would take. Uh, and I think we're another, you know, another 10 years after 2009. We're like, oh, no, we're, it's cool. Like we, we love the big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, and it. We're once again, I feel like, in a place in our society where um, maybe that would be a believable outcome. You know what I mean? With, with with the things we're seeing in the news and stuff recently and stuff, you might you might be like more receptive to something like that. Um, yes. So I think it works really works really well. Um, let, let me ask you about this because um, I don't remember the exact drama uh, in, involved here, but um, you know, it, Alan Moore had some serious drama with DC with the, the, the Watchmen uh, series and those characters. And um, I'm, so I'm watching the, the, the motion comic. And what's really interesting about that is there is not a single mention of Alan Moore anywhere in the credits of that motion comic. And I'm like, this is, I mean, it literally, it starts with like, it says like, um, Illustrated by Dave Gibbons, like right, right in the beginning, <laughs> never mentions Alan Moore at all, even though they're pulling ev- like exact pages and dialogue directly from the book. Um, even the film pretty much adapted the the book word for word up until what they changed about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, man, it's like, how can they even like it, it's such a gleaming. uh Just this it's like just to be like we're not even gonna like he he doesn't exist he this story was created out of thin air yeah um <laughs> so when it comes to alan moore like i i don't think anyone knows all the details of what happened and, and of course if you go back and read like his point of view and like dc's point of view and, and even dave gibbon's point of view it's they all contradict each other uh i think it could be boiled down that alan moore didn't want credit because they were changing the original story and he didn't want his name associated in any way with any of the changes that would be made to his original source material. Like unless it was a 100% direct adaptation, 100% dialogue and every single shot is just, you know, a, 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 a re- recreation of the, of the Gibbons panels that he's like, Nope, I don't want any part of this. Don't even credit me. Like just, this is not I am not involved whatsoever. I don't condone this. I don't support this. I do not sanction this <laughs> this adaptation, this series. I don't want any part of any of it. Not not the movie, not the motion comic, not the TV show. Leave me alone. Like when you resell the when you resell the the series, uh the comic, like throw my name on there cuz I wrote every single yeah. word of that right. and it's not been changed. So you better give me credit for that cuz that's mine. Everything else, like you guys, you have the rights to it, so do whatever, but leave me out of it. 
that's what I gathered from all the various uh, stories that I read that all contradicted each other is that Alan Moore is like, nope, this is not me at all. So don't even don't even give me partial credit. That's crazy. it's, It's hard to imagine, especially this day and age with like how big these these films and series and stuff have become and how much money they generate to not want any kind of credit um, publicly. Um, not just for the fact that people will be like rediscovering who you are, um, like a later generation really just going, oh, wow, this is this guy. Oh, OK, I'm going to go check out other stuff this guy's done. I'm going to go read his novels because he, he clearly has a beef with superhero stories now. Um, now he's like, you know, he thinks, it's, I don't know what, it's childish. It, it's, uh, um, you know, uh, storytelling for, for babies. I, I, I don't know. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like to acknowledge superhero storytelling as like real. It, he's almost like a, a Scorsese type, right? Who, who like just kind of downplays, um, the importance of superhero films. And so he's the same way with, with superhero comics and superhero storytelling. And it's kind of sad to see because it's like this guy who, who is one of the definitive, you know, super grounded hero storytellers, um, almost like completely distances himself from it. It's really sad. And it's like, you're, I feel like you're most known for this. And it's like he doesn't want to be. It's like, oh, I want to be taken as a serious writer. It's like, but you are. You yeah. are. You, you told great stories. Mm-hmm. I just I wish that 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 he was, you know, the type of guy to to embrace that sort of thing. It's 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 kind of sad to see. Yeah, it's it's strange because like he's one of those those writers from like the 80s that revolutionized comic book storytelling, graphic storytelling. Um, we were talking about the Claremont run and how it's definitive X-Men, but it's still very much superhero comics. Like mm-hmm. as groundbreaking as that run is, it doesn't, it's not a game changer. It's just, it's, it's amazing in, in its longevity um, and like, and how singular of a focus Claremont was able to have, but he doesn't really, he doesn't change the medium in any way. He just is like, he takes advantage of exactly what the medium is and, and gives us some of the best comic book stories of the seventies and eighties. But you look at guys like uh, Frank Miller and like Neil Gaiman and, and even Grant Morrison, but like especially Alan Moore, like Alan Moore, probably more than anybody yeah. revolutionized what graphic storytelling was. And it was like, dude, you can put a, a, a prose novel level of, of work into this story and still have it be a comic book. Like yeah. you can change it. Like there were times where like I think it was like Neil Gaiman had won like literary awards for Sandman. Like mm-hmm. a comic book run uh was winning awards that usually go to novelists and, and you know prose authors and stuff. And like Alan Moore was one of the people that ushered that in. Like his his take on Swamp Thing was was amazing. Um two of the best Super, Superman stories of all time were Alan Moore. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. It was like one of them was Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, uh, which was like a 12-part like future storyline, I think. Uh, it's been a while. It's been like four or five years since I since I read them. And then he did this story that was like in like a Superman annual and then like one other. It was like a two-issue story that was like for the man who has everything. 
And it was this really interesting story where like Mongol had sent Superman like a birthday present that was like this thing that sucks onto his face. And it, like it put him in this dream world. And it was like in the dream world, it was like what happened if he grew up on a Krypton that never exploded. And like in the meantime, like Batman and Robin are like trying to figure out how the heck they're supposed to save Superman, who's like also being attacked at the same time by these like three characters that have like time travel and reality warping abilities. And so they're like starting to reshape the world as if Superman never existed. I don't know. Like he came in and like he told these these two stories that like completely grounded Superman in a way that he had never been grounded before. And yet it told this like gigantic cosmic storyline. It like, and he weaved them together so seamlessly that you don't even realize that you're reading this gigantic sweeping story, even though it's being told by like the, the point of view of like one of DC's like more grounded characters in Batman. It was amazing. Uh, it's just so strange that he's like completely distancing himself not just from from superhero comics, but like comics in general. Like he's like, man, eh, it's kid stuff. It's like, no, dude, you turned it into adult stuff. You yeah. made it a legitimate way to tell stories, and now you're like, nah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I think you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's the fact that he wanted even more impact. You know, maybe he wanted to transform the medium to the point where um, they weren't telling the kid version anymore. You know, like that that that's not what superhero. Uh, entertainment was it became this more adult thing and because that didn't really happen and and you know we're still trying to entertain kids with with comic book stories um or big kids like like you and me um you know maybe that's what that you know he's like oh i i, I want to uh kind of mature the readers um it's like you did you you did and then you're it, other people can enjoy this too like you know uh, the the young teenager can enjoy this along with the 50 year old man can enjoy this like it's that's what's great about it man and and there's so much of that type of comic book and graphic novel storytelling now you've got to uh, imagine him as um you know one of the the godfathers of that and like the reason we have so many indie comics that are very adult uh focused and and uh made for adult readers like he's a big part of the reason why that exists, the the adult version of comics. So I don't know, man, I, I just feel like if, if I was him, I would like revel in that, but what are you going to do? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe he's <laughs> like, Oh no, I just, all I did was create a genre of comics that was like grown up comics. And that that's not good enough. He's like yeah. the, he, he's the Nirvana of comics, right? Like Nirvana yeah. took a sound and turned it into an entire genre and then mm-hmm. everyone tried to copy what they were doing. And by being so indie and so edge, they ended up becoming mainstream. And maybe that's what happened. Like Alan Moore became mainstream. And he's like, bah, to hell with this. Like, I'm done. I'm done, I'm done with comics. Forget it. Yeah, it's not, it's not even cool anymore. <laughs> Alan Moore, the original hipster of his time. <laughs> well. I think he's like a wizard or something too in real life. So maybe he just had to put more of his time into his magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think my favorite thing about Alan Moore is like how much Grant Morrison just idolizes the man and how much Alan Moore hates Grant Morrison. Like if you ever read interviews and Grant Morrison comes up, he just, he hates that guy. And if you, it's, it's, if you read Grant Morrison 
uh, you read Grant Morrison interviews and he's like, Alan Moore is the greatest human who has ever lived. And here are a thousand reasons why. And Alan that Moore's sucks. like, yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. I like how this became Saturday morning more tunes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about we're discussing the twelve part motion comic of Watchmen rather than this episode of X Men the Animated Series. Yeah. <laughs> well, well we should probably jump into it then. I know it's been about, you know, twenty five, thirty minutes or so of us of us chatting regular stuff. We got some X Men talk in there, so uh yeah, I think uh if you're ready we can we can jump into our episode breakdown. Absolutely. Uh cue the music. <laughs> All right, so for today's episode, it is uh, Season 4, Episode 2, according to one of the, the books that I have written by Eric Leewald, according to another one, it's like just a random season or episode at the end of Season 3, um, but yeah, according to the, the more the more recent book I have, it's Season 4, Episode 2, it is A Deal with the Devil. It originally aired September 14th, 1996, so it is out of order on the DVDs. Um, by a long shot, like it should be episode 47. It's actually episode like 65 on the DVDs. So like way late, uh, but that was because it, it aired out of order. Uh, this episode written by Eric Leewald, story edits by Eric Leewald, and of course, directing by Larry Houston. So Brett, why don't you uh, jump in and tell us how the episode starts? So I, I feel like now we originally did uh I want to say originally, uh, we did a, the other Omega Red episode that is kind of, this is a continuation of, correct? Like you and I did that. Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember, um, really being kind of taken back by the fact that like this feels, um, aimed a little bit more at adults, these, these episodes, because there's so much, um, political stuff that they throw in there. And, uh, I feel like there's a lot of stuff for grownups in here that kids would not understand at all. Um, even at the time, because I remember watching this stuff when I was a kid, I didn't really understand stuff about like the Soviet Union and the, the fall of communism there and um, all that was going on. Mm-hmm. But they I mean, they, they go kind of deep into it with Omega Red's backstory and and even continuing on the story with like the nuclear sub at the bottom of the it, it, it's it's really cool um, that. That they throw so much uh, stuff in there for the adults that might happen to be watching this with their kids on Saturday morning. It's very, very much grown-up storytelling. So we start out um, in the former Soviet Union, and uh, much like the last Omega Red story, but this time it is uh, the Americans bringing him uh, bringing him back to life, I, I guess. They're looking for him specifically. They find him in the ice, very Captain America-esque, and um, – they're going to thaw this guy out and uh, bring him back for a very specific mission and working for us. Yeah, I like it's uh, since you brought up Mission Impossible earlier, uh, it's like it's very Mission Impossible, right? It's like, all right, yeah. Katie, like, here it is. Here's the mission. Only you can can do this mission. Um, yep. So we're going to we're going to send you on it. It's like uh, it, or even kind of like Suicide Squad to a degree where it's like. You're yeah, a villain yes. and you're going to do something heroic. And if not, then like we'll kill you. <laughs> it's a it's a story trope as old as time. Um, they this is this is escape from New York. 
also escaped from LA. Um, yes, uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah, but they in, implant him with this uh, this chip. It's a it's like a cryo capsule uh, that will refreeze him, I guess, if he uh, if he gets out of line. Uh, so they have a very specific mission. And, and what I don't understand is um, in this opening scene, he has way too much leverage. Like, there's no reason why he should be able to call any of the shots at all. I don't know why they allow him to pick his own team or any of that stuff. Like they're like, dude, we we can kill you or refreeze you, you know, right now if we want to. We'll just put you back under, okay? If you're not going to help us. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's like, oh, sh-. they're like, you're going to do this for us, and he's like, why would I do that? He's like, because if you don't, we'll we'll just put you back. And then he's like, okay, well, I'll only do it if I could pick some of my enemies to go on this mission with me. Yeah. They're like, sure, done. <laughs> Anything you want, sir. Yeah, no, it's like yeah. they they tell him right off the bat, right? Like, you're the only one who survived down there. And then the entire American military and American intelligence community couldn't have sent two people down there in the suits that the other characters were wearing? Like, <laughs> I just I like they, they there's like some contrivances in here too where it was like uh, only you have the codes to to turn the submarine back on um because we don't remember the old Soviet codes they've been I think the guys like they've been misplaced uh, yeah. <laughs> um it's like okay but so just send a second sub down there that has like magnetic like a big giant magnet and just pull the yeah. sub with magnets and drop it into the middle of the oh, like drop it into the what is it the the Mariana Trench that's right there that's in the Pacific yeah. right like and they're on the coast of Hawaii so they're in the Pacific Ocean just pull it to where you need to pull it to and and drop it whatever I, it's yeah. still a fun episode <laughs> even is, with all the the logic uh, holes <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of reaching here and a lot of like silly. Uh, storytelling, but uh, like I said, it, it's a classic story, though. You, you you get the the bad guy, you threaten his life and say, um, you're going to do this for us or else, and then uh, you bring in some heroes uh, that he hates as well. It, it's it's it, it worked really well as an episode. It was just how they got there was a little sloppy, I feel like. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so you're right. Like the the Americans kind of thaw them out, and they they give them the mission, which is there's a new there's an old Soviet nuclear sub on the coast of Hawaii that uh, you know, if if uh, there's like an earthquake, which you know happens in the region all the time, uh, if anything happens to like jostle the submarine, it's got like 15 nuclear missiles in it, and if one of them goes off, it'll like all of Hawaii will be gone, and like a lot of the ocean will be destroyed, and all this. Um, so they send Wolverine, they send Omega Red down there. And as you mentioned, Brett, he asks for, uh, you know, his own stipulation, his own kind of insurance policy that the American government isn't just going to send him down there. And then as soon as he moves the sub that they're going to kill him. So he demands additional crew members. And and his demand is for Wolverine and Storm of the X-Men, because they're the ones that put him in the ice last time. Um, and so he if he's going to get revenge, if, if they're going to try to kill him, then like he wants them to be collateral damage. 
we go to the X mansion and, and I love the sequence because Wolverine is like super not on board with this mission at all. Like just kill him and blow up the sub. Like who needs Hawaii? There's plenty of coast. You know, there's beautiful places in the world. We don't need Hawaii really in the grand scheme of things. Forget it. I'm not going down there. This is unacceptable. He's like on the verge of like a berserker rage. And I like that Xavier's like, oh, so I should go down there instead. Is that you're telling me that uh, I'm more of a man than you? Like I can handle the mission. And Wolverine's like, yeah. I'm suiting up, bub. Like that was it. Like all he had to do is yeah. just like insult Wolverine's manhood. And Wolverine's like, oh, you better believe I'm going down there. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Wolverine, like he makes some comment about how it's going to be fun. Like what, what miss all the fun. It's like <laughs> one second ago, you were completely against doing this. And now you're like, no, no, no one's going to have fun without me. He's like super pumped to go do it. <laughs> yeah, so so Wolverine and Storm they they get in their their suits that protect them from the uh, you know toxic uh, atmosphere of the submarine. I get like the oxygen's been tainted, right? Because it's an old nuclear sub that's that's had mm-hmm. you know it's it's been at the bottom of the ocean and it's been uh, inoperable. So they're assuming that there's you know toxicity in there. Uh, so Wolverine and Storm are in their like containment suits and they're totally fine going into the submarine and it's like the 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 navy or the marine like no one had suits that they that would have worked for whatever um so they they get down there they're going in their little yellow submarine down to the big submarine and you know they're able to breach the sub they get in and you know immediately things turn sour like as soon as they get into the submarine omega red's like haha suckers like i tricked you all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which like yeah. we totally like it's Omega red. Of course you totally expect that uh, Omega red's not going to play ball. Uh, and he yeah. doesn't, he almost immediately is like, all right, I'm in charge here. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he's like threatening like, well, I'll just launch all these nukes. Like, I, I, what are you guys going to do about it? Now I got everything I want. I got Wolverine down here. I got storm down here, all this collateral damage. It's like, how incompetent were the, was this government to do this? Like send him down there with hostages, uh, in, into a, into a submarine equipped with several, what, uh, over a dozen nuclear warheads? <laughs> like what? This is insane. And he, and he has the codes and he's the only person with the code. <laughs> That's insane. Um, either way, um, this is what happens. Wolverine's wanting, wanting to take him out the entire time. He's like, come on, I'm just going to uh, – let's just take this guy out. And, you know, Storm's like, we can't do that. You know, if we get our suits damaged, we're done. Like, your healing factor might help you out eventually, but it, it'll kill me. And so, you know, that that kind of holds him back uh, for a while with Omega Red. He's like yeah. – uh, he eventually gets to the point where he's like, whatever, Storm uh, – you're not that important. Like, this is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. He's like, I, I, I love you, but I'm willing to sacrifice you if it means I get to kill yeah. Omega Red. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I like that. Uh, like the second that Omega Red starts doing bad stuff, the the Americans are like, Oh no, no! Don't forget, we put that liquid nitrogen in your neck. Or whatever, and he just like uses his tentacle and he just pulls it out. He's like, "Oh, you mean this liquid nitrogen?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a like, lot of really convenient you... stuff in this. <laughs> so, 
like now you have no leverage. You're completely out of leverage. I, I've got the two X-Men that I want to kill the most. I've got my 15 <laughs> missiles to launch at the, what was it? He's the most pop, the, the 15, uh, high, higher populated cities in the world. Though he's not just attacking America. Yeah. Like he's going to attack the whole world and then he's just going to yeah. hang out in a submarine because that's all that he needs. Like, his his yeah. only dream here is to to cause destruction and be alive in his submarine. That's all. Yeah, well, I you know, and, and I get it. He he's um been made as this Soviet uh signal of like patriotism, right? Like that's that is his character. It's like he lives for the Soviet Union, which no longer exists. So it's like, what else does he have to live for? Um, he'll he'll take his final. Uh, revenge and his, you know, it's his final uh, kind of saying like, well, in the end, the Soviet Union still wins against the entire world um, because I'm going to yeah. take everyone out. And who cares, like, if, if I have any life after this? Oh, yeah. We, we forgot to mention, actually, the, the original thing that they offer him is his humanity back. Oh, yeah, that's they, right. Yeah, that was that was like how they sweetened the pot. <laughs> Yeah, one more thing, like we'll give you your humanity back too. It's like, man, what are they not giving this guy? You know what I mean? Like every everything he could ever possibly want, and he's like, nah, I just want to, I just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yeah, he's an agent of chaos. He was an agent of communism, which no longer is a thing. So now he's an agent of chaos. That's all. That's yes. all there is to it. Um, I still like his plan. You're absolutely right. It's like it's still like the Soviet Union still wins because even though the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, I'm taking out like all of the rest of the the capitalist world here, like the 15 most populated cities. Like, can you imagine the destruction and and all that? Uh, And like and he takes it like Wolverine attacks him. Storm tries to fight back as best she can can he stops them with his tentacles and he's just holding them there like they can't do anything and he's just typing away you know slowly launching the missiles meanwhile luckily xavier is not an idiot he's like yeah we can't trust omega red like it's so so beast and rogue are just chilling in the blackbird like directly above the ocean where the submarine is you know fully cloaked and everything and they're just waiting which is nice. You know, they try to stop the submarine from, from reaching the, the, the depth where they can actually launch the missiles. They charges, uh, but it's not, it slows them down, but it's not enough to stop them altogether. And he gets the submarine to the depth that he needs. He launches, he's like launching them in like waves of five. So it's like three waves of five launches or so. Uh, and eventually he launches some missiles, uh, beast and rogue flying the blackbird are like able to shoot most of them down. Um, they, they shoot like all but two of them down. Um, by this point, like the Navy has finally arrived from like Pearl Harbor and they shoot like the last two warheads before they can be armed. And so, uh, at this point, um, Omega Red's like, all right, cool. Like, so what I'm going to do then is like the last five that I have, I'm just going to arm them before I even launch them. So you can't shoot them down because if you shoot them down, they'll explode and we'll all, everyone's going to die because like we can't handle, even though we're over the ocean, like the the world can't handle like 10 nuclear explosions all happening at once. Um, and then eventually so, like, oh, go, go, you go. Well, I was going to say one more factor in this story is, and which I thought was kind of insane. Like it should be way more of a factor. Um, Storm's claustrophobia. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the absolute worst scenario for her to ever be in like a, a tiny submarine underneath the ocean. Like she should be for one. I've seen her freak out over way less. 
Like a couple pieces <laughs> yeah. of rubble fall near her, and she's like, "Oh my god, I gotta get out!" But like in this, she's she's deep under the ocean, and she just mildly, like she's actually kind of keeping it, keeping herself in check pretty well. Um, but yeah, I just I thought that that was one more thing, and I feel like they they could have really upped the um, intensity of the story by really leaning leaning into that. Um, like not only is she in a scenario where she could get poisoned by this radiation or what have you, but she's also would be freaking out. And she mentions that uh, to Wolverine at one point too, about like, um, you know, her, she, her controlling her fear would like, if I can control my fear down here, you can surely control your rage. Um, you just, you know, now's not the time to take your revenge. Uh, but yeah, and that's one more factor, but so eventually, um, he incapacitates both of them. Uh, Wolverine, <laughs> Wolverine screws himself by popping his claws in the first <laughs> place. And so now he's like, he, which I don't know if we've ever seen is like Wolverine completely unconscious and being carried around by someone else. Uh, but yeah, storms like trying to rescue Wolverine and um, they're, they're both, he's got them both kind of pinned down or whatever. And, but because of the X-Men, trying to uh trying to stop him from reaching the death or whatever they get loose but wolverine is completely capacitated i don't understand like so rogue goes down there uh she just swims down to the submarine who knows how deep they actually are but she she makes it down there i was wondering like so if this hole is breached does it leak that radiation out like, is that now exposed to the world? Is that some, they're going to have to do some cleanup now? Or I don't understand, but it seemed like if they could just do that, I, I don't know. She goes down, she tears a hole in it, but it doesn't leak water into the submarine. I don't really know what she did. I, I don't, I don't understand. Do you, do you understand what she did by pulling one of those uh, chunks off of the submarine? Right. Yeah. So so the main thing that she does is like she bends all the the, the propellers for the, you know, the, the rotors and stuff for, for its propulsion system so that it, it can't like navigate. My guess would be the one thing that she like pulls open is like some sort of like a radar navigation type deal that the, the uh-huh. like, you know, part of the computer that figures out like how deep the submarine is and like what direction it's. Go- That's my guess, because I was thinking the same thing you were. Because part of the reason why they had to send Omega Red down there in the first place is that everything inside the submarine is toxic and they can't just yeah. blow it up because it would release all of that that toxicity into the ocean. And the first thing that she does when she goes down there is she like grabs a flap of yeah. the submarine and like rips it open. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm guessing it's gotta be like some sort of like a navigational you'd think that like as she was diving down there, Beast would have been like, Well, Rogue, while you're down there, uh on this panel, like do the because if she would have just done the propellers, that would have made perfect sense. Uh, yeah. But they show her like pulling this one flap thing and like punching something. And yeah, it's like, um, okay, so all the toxicity is coming out, all the water is going in. <laughs> like, what did you, what did you accomplish? <laughs> you just, yeah. Like, yeah, you just did exactly what like the whole world is like, please don't do this to the submarine. But yeah, I, I would guess that's like some sort of like a navigation thing that's, sensitive to the outside but isn't really attached to anything on the inside yeah. that yeah so it makes sense because because they do later uh establish that the navigation is 
like destroyed and he's unable to navigate in the end. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought her tearing that panel off was going to come into play in terms of like water rushing in. I thought it was going to be like, oh, we're going to lean into Storm's claustrophobia. It's going to be filling up with water. You know, Wolverine will somehow have to like uh, dig a hole out of the submarine and save them, whatever. But yeah, I, that's I was really confused by her ripping that panel off and everything. Um, but either way, uh, I this was a, a great episode, and I I, I want to. Do you know if they – I don't think they ever got back to this story because it's definitely a cliffhanger, right? They, they leave it open at the end. Like, Omega Red is still down there, um, whether he's at the darkest depths of the ocean or not. The man is alive, um, and we know he's not He's not going to die. He's not going to starve to death down there or anything. So right. um, they – they it's a it's an ominous ending. It's not really a happy ending. Like, Wolverine and, and – they basically have to abandon uh, Omega Red receiving any, any kind of punishment. They just got like, well, we got to go. We got to get Wolverine wants to take him out, but it's like, dude, we got to go. We, we So they, they escape, but Omega Red's still down there and they leave it open. Like um, they're going to face him again. And I don't think in this series, they ever get back to that. So I'm, is that right? Yeah, I'm off the top of my head. Like, I don't remember any more episodes in the future that he that he features into. Um, I think that they at least kind of play it off that like he's out there, but he, he's pretty deep now. Like, the, as the X Men are escaping and the Blackbird together, um, we see like Omega Red tries to start like piloting the sub again, and yeah. it like seems to fall off of like this cliff, and it, so it sinks further into the depths of the ocean, right? Yeah. Like, how deep is the ocean right there by Hawaii anyway? Like, is it deep enough that he can't somehow get to the surface again? Like you said, like, he doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to breathe. The only thing yeah. he needs to do every now and then is, like, absorb some life force. But, like, mm-hmm. the way submarines work, it's like they can load the they can load a missile into the chute thing and then, like, shove it in. Can he just put one of his tentacles in and, like, reach a tentacle all the way out into the ocean and just, like, absorb the life of, like, a fish? Like, can he grab a giant squid and just, like, absorb to stay alive? Because if he can, then, like, yeah, he's not going to die down there. And if he gets enough life force, can he just break the submarine open and and swim up to the surface eventually at some point? Probably, right? Which I think is why Wolverine, like you mentioned, like, Wolverine at the end is like, oh, he's out there. I can smell him, you know, like (laughs) – so like, which is like, no, you can't. He's at the bottom of the ocean. Like, yeah, it's a ridiculous statement. I I laughed out loud when he was like, I can smell him. I'm like, no, you can't, Wolverine. No, you cannot smell him. You're like thousands of miles away from him. You're in New York. He's off the coast of Hawaii, probably a couple miles under the ocean. You not you don't smell him. Um, but w- yeah. what what gets me excited is with X Men ninety seven coming. Are we going to get the the final episode in this trilogy of Omega Red stories? And you know, in between there, are we ever going to get your final Omega Red? Episode? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, that was, that listen, was awesome. Listen, if, if this is all we get, tell me now. Listen, I, I'll be okay with it. Just tell me that this is the final Omega Red episode. Right here, you're no, you're not going to talk about him anymore. This counts as your as your final Omega Red episode. 
there's another one coming. I, I but there's another one coming. Like I got it. The story that I was planning to end my Omega Red month with is really cool. It's Omega Red. It's Wolverine. It's vampires. Like I've like I have to get to it at some point. I really want to. Um, and I, I very much, I seriously plan to, uh, but I don't know if you listened to, I think it was the episode that at the time that we're recording this, the episode that dropped yesterday with Ryan Sanio. Um, I mentioned, I think at the end of that one, maybe it was the end of the one with, with Jamie Sherman. Um, like I, for, uh, for March, I'm going to cover the, uh, the Peter David run of X factor, the initial like 20 yep. issues that he did. So I'm like, I'm really excited to get into that. Um, I don't know when Omega Red's coming, but like, I'm definitely going to get to that final Omega Red episode. Maybe on the I one year like, anniversary of when it was supposed to have dropped. Yes. That's what I was going to ask you is like, what, what, I thought it was around this time last year that, that, that you were doing that. What was it? April or something? Maybe? June? Yeah, I think it was somewhere that, around there because I did Lady Deathstrike month and then I did Silver Samurai month and then I did Omega Red yeah. month. So it was, yeah, it was probably somewhere around like late spring. So, so maybe for, for the one year anniversary of when it should have dropped, I'll, I'll get back to, uh, to talk and snicked and, and finally do the, uh, the Omega Red episode. <laughs> yeah. Just, just pick right back up. Like say if the month is June or whatever, just be like, all right, we're in the final week of June. So you know what that means? Final <laughs> Omega Red episode. Like just, just act like it never, the, the year gap in between never even happened. Um, <laughs> right. One thing I wanted to, to mention that I, I don't know if it was just in season four, if season three had this as well, and I, I, I just didn't notice, but the opening credits, um, there's some, some new animation that they decided to use in the opening credits. Um, it's, it's a lot more like cinematic even, and, and, you know, the original was, was awesome in itself, iconic. Um, but they decided to throw in some more, uh, montage, scenes of like x-men fighting and stuff and i was like oh this is awesome that the song is sped up a little bit um <laughs> yeah it was a it, the, the intro is really great this season like i said i don't know if they did it in season three as well um but the season four intro is is pretty badass yeah so for all the episodes um that were like out of order and ended up appearing like in you know 96 or or 97 or whatever um they they uh, they had that upgraded intro sequence with like you know the the electric guitar is like even more electric and like they riff it a little bit longer and like they redo it and then yeah they add mm-hmm. some some additional montage i i would be willing to bet they updated the title sequence because they saw the japanese intro for the japanese version of oh, this man. show and yeah. they were like dude this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen like we got to up our we got to throw more action into ours like we yes. don't need Wolverine in a in a jungle doing his little claw arc thing. We don't need Cyclops shooting his optic blast into the sky, not doing anything. Like, no, we need like yeah. we need more Sentinel punching and like more Sauron punching, and like we even need Magneto punching some fools. Like, we need all of that in this in this <laughs> intro now. Yeah, yeah, that that Japanese version is so damn awesome. Like, <laughs> Dude, I, it's so I good. First time I first time I saw it, I was like. Dude, they had it so much better than us. Like, we thought we were spoiled with this awesome intro. Like, you know, cartoon intros were not this awesome. Um, yeah. But then, you know, in true Japanese fashion um, in the era, like, they really, like, just blew the American animation out of the water. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, you don't want Brood in the show? Well, here's, like, 12 Brood <laughs> getting blasted by Cyclops. 
We're just throwing yeah. them right in the in the front. If they're not going to if they're not going to show up in the actual series, we're just going to throw right. them right here in the intro. There you go. There's the, there's your brood. <laughs> yeah, they yeah that that's that is crazy. They just added scenes that were never even in the series. Like that's how <laughs> forward thinking they were. They're like, yeah, they might get to this eventually. So let's put this in this awesome uh, intro mashup. Yeah, and it's like they knew that Rogue was the babe of the show, so they're like, we're going to have her, like, smiling and winking and stuff, being extra cute and everything. Yeah. (laughs) The Japanese intro is is, is so good. I feel like it has its own, like, separate fandom within the the cartoon fandom itself. There's, like, a sub-fandom of just the Japanese opening sequence. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, I don't even like X-Men the Animated Series, but that intro... I um oh, no I I I have to uh, encourage anyone who who may not have been, people might not be aware that this is uh something that exists. So uh but if people have not seen the Japanese version of the intro for this series, definitely look it up on YouTube because it's 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 uh something to behold. It really is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the animation is great. Like even the song is cool and it's cuz they don't just use like the same song. They they have their own song. And it's like high octane, you know, like really gets you pumped. Yeah. 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 And, and I was pumped by this one. I remember uh, as a kid being super pumped up um, just watching the intro to X-Men. So just imagine that, but turned up to 11. That's the Japanese version. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Cool. So so I loved this episode, uh, like reading the, the, the episode description that Eric Lee Wald has in his book previously on X-Men. They're like ashamed of this episode for the fact that this episode's like not very good. It was originally he had written a completely different Omega Red episode that like didn't land well. And so like at the last minute, they kind of had to pivot the story. And that's when they came up with like the nuclear sub story. And like they're not proud of this episode. Like there's no compelling human story behind it. It's just like a sequence of events. But I liked it, man. Like watching it. I even like rewatched it this morning to make sure that my notes were in order. And I'm like, dude, I love, there's like political intrigue and there's like mission impossible spy elements. And there's like a little bit of espionage. Like I dig this. I really want yeah. more episodes like this. And like reading their thing, they're like, yeah, this, this was like our, our one stinker. And, and like, I'm sitting here like, no way. Like maybe the, the, the last episode, the juggernaut episode is probably the, the lowest uh, of all the episodes. And this was like a slight step back up from that. Um, how, how do you feel? Cause I, you mentioned that you liked the episode, right? But like, is, is you just like it cause it's Omega Red or did you actually like the storyline, the, the elements of the story? Uh, well, now that you say it, I, I can totally see where they're coming from in terms of like, there's no real human story in it. It is just, it's just an action movie, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, it, it's a, it's an action movie crunched into 22 minutes, um, or a one-off episode of, of some action series. It's it doesn't go as deep on on character stuff as a lot of other episodes, which is a lot of the reason why we love X-Men is like the character stuff. Right. It's not it's not just for the action. Um, That's why a lot of people are drawn to X-Men over other stuff is like it's about the characters. It's about the storytelling. So I get that. um, But, you know, not every episode has to be. I, I think they made up for it with the political intrigue stuff, with the former Soviet Union stuff, with the um, just the fact that Omega Red is like, you know, if I can't have my Soviet Union, like the world can't have happiness, I'm just going to take everyone out. 
I don't know. It, it was fine. It wasn't like one of my favorites. Um, as a, as a Wolverine episode, if I want to call it a Wolverine episode, maybe not one of the best. Um, overall, though, it was a really fun action story. Um, mm-hmm. So I dug it for that, and I dug the the. the I always love when they dig into the, the the Soviet Union stuff. It's just always a lot of fun. Or um, anything that's like government related, like super soldier program or digging into Wolverine's past and weapon X and stuff like that. I love that sort of stuff. So that was, that was fun, but I, I definitely see where they're coming from. It's a little light on character development and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned uh, the fact that storm only, only has like one mention of her claustrophobia and, but it, it never actually comes into play in the story itself. Right. Uh, they could have done this as like a two part episode where like they get down to the sub and it turns yep. out that like, like they can't it's not just the the um the code you know they need to like restart the generator or something like that that like puts them in in it's really dangerous and like if they mess it up at all that'll it'll explode and and storm is the one that has to go down there right cuz she needs her her powers or something and but it's cuz the claustrophobia it's like she has to overcome that and the whole, whole time Wolverine's like about to kill Omega Red you know they, like they could have stretched it out and added some stuff that would then bring some of the human elements in but yeah, like we, this series is 76 episodes long. We don't need every episode to to delve into someone's past or to explain someone's fear or or anything like that. It's okay to just have an action-based episode in a in a child's cartoon that that's an action cartoon. It's okay to just do one episode that's an action movie. And and yeah, like at least with this there there there's real stakes involved. Like there are 15 missiles aimed at the 15 largest cities in the world and there's only yeah. two X-Men that can stop it. Like the government is completely powerless because they caused this whole thing in the first place. Like there there are at least there's at least stakes, you know. And there like there's there's X-Men down there that could die if if a mistake is made. So there's stakes, there's action. That's fine. Like I I I dug the episode. Yeah, it's a 90s action movie all the way. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, it, not not super deep, but a, a lot of action. And, yeah, all these elements of, like, um, all the things you're saying, like uh, 15 nuclear warheads aimed at 15 of the biggest city, most populated cities in the world. Like, it, this sounds exactly like any action movie plot from the 90s. It fit right in. I'm sure in the 90s, like, this would even it would have been a huge hit with kids, like just the complete action of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One Missile, thing I, I submarines. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to say there's um, they did throw us a curveball with kind of um, storm being and, and very, you know, very progressive for the 90s because, you know, the 90s were still uh, we're still showing men saving women uh, for the most part. Um, but in this episode, they, they did kind of throw us a curveball uh, with storm having to rescue wolverine and her kind of being the 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 one to uh get him out of there and and kind of save the day and be the voice of reason like dude we got to get out of here like you know we don't have time for your revenge plot um you've already done more like wolverine's kind of dumb in this episode he really is He, (laughs) he, he he pops his claws like rendering himself useless um just constantly trying to put the world in danger by uh, attacking Omega Red in this situation. And then, yeah. you know, Storm has to, like, literally pull him away. Like, man, he was such a uh, a hazard to have on this mission. Like, I, I wish 
I get it though. Omega Red like chose him wisely. Like he knew that it would be that way. And so it like, it ups the stakes. Um, but yeah, I, I do dig the curveball that they threw us where like it wasn't Wolverine saving Storm because of her claustrophobia, which what you would imagine, like he's got to take control because she's incapacitated by her extreme fear, um, mm-hmm. which we've seen before. Like we've seen her yeah. unable to perform because of that and have to be rescued. But in this in this sense, they set it up perfectly for you to think that's what's coming. And then, oh, no, it's, it's Wolverine that needs rescued from her. So that was cool. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And it's like, that's another thing. It's like, okay, there are some, some human elements here that maybe yeah. they, they didn't even realize they put in, uh, just because the writing is so good and the characterization has been so good for so long that like mm-hmm. they, they completely missed that they did put that in there. Because like you said, we, we get like the one comment from Storm about her claustrophobia and it's like, okay, they're foreshadowing that she's going to lose control and, and Wolverine's going to have to calm down and, and rescue her. But, like, no, it was the exact opposite that she mentions, yeah. like, dude, I have my claustrophobia, so I need you to be cool. And then he's not. And she's like, okay, well, I, I'm going to have to rescue him. I'm going to have to fight Omega Red. I'm going to have to rescue Wolverine. Meanwhile, Rogue is the one that has to come down and destroy the submarine yep. because what can Beast do? Like, he's super smart and he can fly the right. plane. That's it. Like, we need some power in here. And, like, we get that from Rogue. We get the human element from, from Storm rescuing Wolverine. And we get the power from Rogue coming down and she's the one that ultimately saves the day. She's the one that shoots the yep. missiles down too. Of the, like, ten yeah. missiles that they launch, she's able to destroy, like, eight of them, you know, like – she she saves the day. It's the two of the the two women, um, it, which is nice to see. Like we haven't really seen either of them be very cool lately because the last few like major storylines was like Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. They were very much like heavily Jean Grey, Cyclops and Wolverine. Like we get a lot of that, and so finally they're like, oh yeah, we forgot. Like Storm and Rogue are, are freaking awesome. Um, so let's return them to, to being awesome. And in a, in an Omega Red episode, like you think this would all be about Omega Red and Wolverine, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Like Storm and Rogue are the ones that, that save the day and the reason why like the good guys win. Yeah. And I, I, it, it's probably not right, but in my head, I still think of this as, as a Wolverine Omega Red episode. But yeah, <laughs> you get into it. It's really not at all. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, men, like, who needs them? Because this, this, I mean, this, I, I actually, the, uh, season three and four are like super strong female protagonist heavy, right? Like it's, uh, it's, it's the women's show for like most of season three with, with the Phoenix storyline. And then, uh, already starting out here in season four, it's like, oh, we're going to continue on with this strong women theme. Um, and it's cool to see. It's cool to see because that was, um, at least with Claremont's run, like not before Claremont's run, but with Claremont's run in the comics is when you started to get these like really strong female characters with like depth um, and, and uh, character development that, that you didn't really get that, you know, back in the Stan and Jack days, it was just like the the girl that every guy wanted to hook up with. It was Jean Grey, including Professor X, um, which still creeps me out. Um, but yeah, that, that's all. That's all Gene. <laughs> that's all Gene was there for was to be like eye candy um, and uh, someone to be rescued, right? Um, and, and Claremont changed that, and you can definitely see it in this series that is adapting a lot of that stuff. It's like 
strong female characters. And in the nineties, uh, sad to say, like, you know, that's, that's our generation of growing up, but, um, we were still in an era of like damsels in distress and, uh, men saving the day. Like the action heroes back then were men. It's just mm-hmm. it, the era we were in. Um, so it's, it's cool to see. And it, I feel like it is pretty progressive and probably the reason why our generation, uh, more so than the generation before, um, and even more so probably the generation after us, but starting with our generation, um, appreciates, uh, strong female leads. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely more receptive to, to female action characters, female action heroes now. And, and I mean, we, we still see the, the discourse online and, and all that. Um, you know, when, when there's a, a female character who's maybe overpowered or, uh, or gets to take some shortcuts, uh, you can see yeah. that there's a, you know, there's a, a very divisive discourse. Uh, but like ultimately, as long as the, the character is done well, like I, I'll take a, a movie of all female superheroes as long as they're they're written well, you know, as, give yeah. them weaknesses and and give them motivations and give them a character arc, and yeah, and like yeah, I'll, I'll for sure be there. Like I feel like the first Wonder Woman movie, uh, Wonder Woman one in 2017, like she had some weaknesses, like Diana had some weaknesses, um, and she turned them into strengths, and and she had a character arc. She got to learn stuff. She got to grow as a character and ultimately save the day in like a very action heavy, like she saves the day by like punching a dude over and like she punches the God of war over and over and over (laughs) until she wins, you know, like that was awesome. Like I loved seeing that. Yeah. I mean, like strong uh, female heroes are definitely like believable. Right. And they prove that way back in the day. Um, And and I feel like uh, you're right. Sometimes it, they, try to take shortcuts but i think if the characters are developed like it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter if it's a male female um what race what uh gender identity they have what have you it's like if the character's written well and has a lot of development going into it it's like absolutely you can believe this like there there's no reason why you wouldn't the the door melage in in the black panther uh films uh are a great example to me. Like I'm afraid of them. Um, you know what I mean? Like where, where I'll admit going into that series, I'm like the, the women are, are the warriors of the, what would, are the men just like, I mean, what do the men do? You know, like these are the protectors of the, um, but when you watch the films, they did them so well that it's, it's so believable. Like Okoye is, uh, a force to be reckoned with. Like you wouldn't want to encounter the door Milaje, um, even if you were the biggest, strongest of the men uh, nearby. Like it, it doesn't matter. They're so <laughs> believable. I think you're right. I think with the right character development, it renders uh, sex and gender like meaningless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It's. Uh... You can look at like some of the Marvel heroes, um, n- like Natasha, uh, Yelena. They they have weaknesses and they have things that they have to overcome. Uh, you look yep. at um, Kate Bishop. You know she had like a great arc in the Hawkeye series. Um, she's not just a fangirl who's better than the male hero. Like she is someone who yeah. strived to achieve what she did, and then we still saw her make plenty of mistakes. 
um, and get better, you know, and learn from those mistakes and get better as she went along. And like characters like that are compelling. Like, I don't care who they are, what they look like, what they believe it, they can look completely different than me. They can believe completely different things than, than me. But like, if I see that, that universal thing of struggling and, and overcoming uh, adversity to, to achieve what they do, like that's a yeah. story that I can believe in and get behind. Like regardless of who the character is. Whereas like, if you look at star Wars, when you look at a character like Ray, she's just good at everything she does, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what's at stake, she always succeeds and it's not that compelling. Like, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't be fans of the character. Like, if you like the character, then like the character. That's, there's nothing wrong with, with liking a character. But like, when I look at her story and I'm like, it's boring. Like, I don't, it's like, oh, we have a bad situation. She's going to win. She's done for two and a half movies. I, I, I don't, it's not, it's not believable. I don't care. Like I'm not invested. There's nothing here. That's like, Oh man, that was so cool. When she automatically does succeeds at everything that she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't care. I find it interesting though, that the X-Men have been doing this for so long, right? Like <laughs> diversity and storytelling. Yeah. And diversity and storytelling and doing it right. Um, and, and then, uh, we still have movies and, and, books and stories coming out now that they, they can't get it right when like the blueprints right there, man, like they've been doing this for a long time. And um, that's how you do it. Develop the characters, give them flaws. Yeah. There, there's not a single X-Men fan out there that begrudges the fact that like storm and gene are like the best X-Men because we've seen those characters grow into those roles. We've seen the journeys that those characters have gone on and they've overcome um, all kinds of hardship. They've learned their lessons. They've failed. They've made mistakes that they've had to move past. And it's like, people are always like, Oh yeah, storm's the best X-Men and like Phoenix is the best X-Men and like rogue and Kitty and like all these. And it's like, yeah, like there's a, you know, all the best X-Men are women. Yeah. And I'm fully on board because I've seen their, journeys and they've earned that status that they've earned it for the last like four decades it's totally <laughs> I, I, I think it's Jedi. <laughs> i think it's it is kind of ironic though that, that the best x-men are women <laughs> like, it, it, like it, i love it the best of the x-men are actually not men at all <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's, that's, I think that's part of why they've resonated with so many people. And I think that, um, that's why I think X-Men has a lot of, of female fans as well, compared to a lot of other, uh, comic book superhero characters because of that, because of the, like the strong women that they feature and it, it just, it makes so much sense. Like, and with, with powers involved, like you kind of, um, Everyone's kind of an, on an equal playing field starting out because everyone has these uh, superpowers that it doesn't ma- like it wouldn't matter. Um, but yeah, they, I don't know. We, we we go on forever about this, but like absolutely, they've been doing it right since the seventies and continue to do it right. And I, I hope they continue the storytelling with the the MCU X Men. I, I hope it continues on continues on with some of that great character development stuff that I've enjoyed from uh, from the MCU thus far as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they, they definitely can. And, and to go back to, way to the beginning of the episode when when you're like, man, I hope they when they finally do X-Men that they do as much Claremont as they can. And, and yeah, I definitely agree because Claremont was kind of the one that started that whole thing of like, it doesn't matter who the character is as long as the character is compelling and believable. Um, they, they, but yeah, they need to do that. Like when they finally bring storm into the MCU, like she, you have to give her the claustrophobia. You have to give her those weaknesses and let her overcome that stuff. You have to, when you, when you do gene, um, you can't just do like 20 minutes of one movie of gene being like, Oh no, my power's out of control. Oh no, I'm the, I'm yeah. the most powerful person. I'm like, no, let, let them, let them grow into that. You know, like the, the one thing with like, with Rogue in the first three, four X-Men movies that they actually did get right with her is like how afraid she is of her own power. The mm-hmm. the problem was they didn't give her the the tools to get over it. You know, that, that's why Rogue's so cool in the comics because she can fly and punch the world. Like she's so powerful. Uh, you have like, you have to give them the characters that balance. Otherwise they're just lame and boring. Um, and like they started off Rogue really great. And then they just kind of let her stay yeah. boring. You have to you have to give the characters an arc. You have to let them grow and and all that. So yeah, hopefully they do they do bring that Claremont in. And and like going going back to like the female audience. When I went and saw Apocalypse in theaters, I went like that Thursday preview night, and mm-hmm. I went by myself. So I was just like you know a thirty something year old, thirty one year old dude. Um, and in the audience there were like a, a few couples, like you know man woman and, and a couple of, you know couple here a couple there uh over there's another couple but like there were like three or four different groups of like five girls five teenage girls that were there watching this movie like there 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 was like maybe six dudes in a theater of like 25 people and the rest of them were all girls or women or you know whoever like because they like storms in this movie and jeans in this movie like our favorite female character psylocke you know like we finally get to see our, our favorite female characters they're, like the audience is there for sure. Nice. All right. Well, I think that that about covers it. Um, I know you've got to run and I, I've got some things to take care of as well. So why don't I give you a couple of minutes here to plug all of your awesome Brett Scott Productions stuff. Um, and then I'll let you get back to your day, man. Yeah, I, I, I just got to comment, comment on this, though. That background, I, I keep forgetting that it's not real. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm like, I. When we first got on, I'm like, is he at the office? What is, what, what is he doing? Uh, anyway, um, I, I think it's great. I'm like, is it a, is this a firehouse? What is this? Is this an office building? Um, yeah, I love the background. This Fantastic is my Hell's school. Kitchen studio. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It, yeah. It, it looks, it looks real, man. It really does. Like I keep <laughs> expecting to see like a bird fly by in the back. Um, yeah. If you guys enjoy me on here, uh, then you can come check me out. Uh, Marvel Plus. Uh, Marvel Plus is uh, the companion podcast for the Disney Plus Marvel series. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of how Ryan and I first connected is me reaching out to him like, hey, come be on my podcast. And by the way, uh, when are you going to start your podcast back up? Uh, so uh, come come check me out over there. Secret Invasion is coming soon. Um, I'll be, you know, we've got a Patreon, too, where we do the reviews of the films as well and i'm currently going through the back catalog of mcu films starting from the beginning um we got ant-man and the wasp quantumania coming up seeing that on tuesday Uh, so a lot of exciting stuff coming up um 
uh, with, with phase five and six of the MCU. Um, and then outside of that, I just, I kind of do all entertainment and pop culture over on my YouTube channel slash podcast daily BS. So people can go and check that out as well. Um, and I talk about everything I've been, I mean, lately I've been going back to movies that just, you know, came out a year ago or more, um, and reviewing them because, you know, I, I talk about what I want to over there. It, it doesn't matter what's new or hot or trending or like the movie that just came out. Um, I did a, I did a review of Dances with Wolves a, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, but yeah, all over the place. I, I recently rewatched, uh, or, or watched for the first time, uh, True Detective, uh, which I absolutely implore you all to, please go watch True Detective, such a fantastic series. Um, but yeah, that's what I do over there is, is anything and everything entertainment and pop culture. So daily BS, YouTube and uh, YouTube channel and podcast and Marvel plus podcast. And you can find those on all podcast catchers. Nice. Yeah. And I can personally attest that it's all good stuff. Brett, Brett's awesome. There's a reason why he's been on so many Snicktoons episodes there's a reason why Marvel Plus is so excellent, as well as Daily BS. So, yeah, definitely go check all that stuff out. I do have to ask you real quick before I let you go, are you going to be talking about Legion at all on there when you finish all three seasons? I don't know. I think that what I might do with Legion is make that a Patreon thing because oh, I nice. like to, like, yeah, I like to relegate, like, the stuff that's not uh, Disney Plus series related. I like to throw on there as kind of a bonus uh, thing like, hey, you want to hear, you like my opinions on the MCU, uh, Disney Plus series? Maybe you'll like, uh, this extra stuff, this other stuff that I've watched. Um, so yeah, it'll likely be on there if I do it. Um, I definitely do stuff like that, like, uh, Daredevil, revisiting the Daredevil series. Um, like I said, going back right now and, and rewatching the MCU, uh, through the, the, the eyes of current day. It's a lot of fun. Like, it's a lot of fun because you know where the stuff ends up going to see, like, all the little stuff that they sprinkled in there throughout um, to make it into what it's become. Like, this this crazy, massive universe that they have. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, definitely Legion is something I'm, I'm, I'm definitely really enjoying. Um, it's a wild show. It's really out there. I, I understand why it is maybe a little too dense uh, for audiences. I I. I think that's likely why it didn't last longer than it did is it's just like it's so much and you have to pay attention to every little detail the whole time, like or else you're lost. If if you miss like a quarter of an episode, you're completely lost in the series. So a lot of fun to go through. Um, I, I think I will talk about it at some point. Nice. Right on. Well, Brett, thanks so much for coming back on. Um, it, it's always a pleasure having you on here for Snicktoons and, uh, we still got lots of X-Men, the animated series left to go. So I'm sure you'll be back uh, a couple yes. of times, probably uh, at some point. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to when some of this Disney plus stuff finally starts dropping for this year. Um, so we can get you back on, on Marvel plus and, and get you talking about those. Cause I, I've had to live vicariously through you and your show for like the last year. Uh, and it looks like I'll probably have to continue that way um, for the next uh, year or so until they start getting some stuff that I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> like once I start getting to the X-Men stuff, then, then I'll be jumping back in. But yeah, I've been living vicariously through you. Um, so it's, it's always good having you on and, and yeah, looking forward to, to all that stuff coming back. So yeah, thanks again for, for jumping back in. Cool. Thanks for having me, dude.
So, Bub, there you have it. That is my conversation with Brett Scott of the Marvel Plus podcast. A lot of, a lot of fun talking with Brett, uh, as always. We didn't even exchange a top five in this episode. We just kind of went uh, and let the conversation take us where it did. And, of course, now we've had our uh, our first unofficial episode of Saturday morning, Snigtoons. Uh, more, of course, spelled M-O-O-R-E. Uh, it was kind of fun to strolling back down through through Watchmen. It's been quite a while since I've watched or read uh, any of that original Watchmen stuff, and and yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to watching the show now. Just hearing that it was a continuation of of the comic and uh, and not the movie, uh, very excited about that. So um, I might uh, I might have to check that out. I've got uh, I've got HBO, so uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll think about doing that. I'm still working on getting through the last uh, assigned watching that Brett gave me, which was all of the the Mission Impossible movies. We totally forgot to. To talk about that, I am, uh, ironically, I'm in the same place that I was uh, last time Brett and I talked about Mission Impossible, but I have recently re-watched the first three movies, and uh, I've got some time set aside in the in the coming weeks to get through each of uh, the remaining three <laughs> that I have uh, in that series. So, totally missed an opportunity to talk about uh, Mission Impossible this, this go-around, but of course, talking the Claremont run and and his importance to the X Men fandom, and uh, of course, talking Watchmen that was a lot of fun. And our, our episode breakdown of A Deal with the Devil, uh, really really good episode. Maybe a, a super underrated episode if you were to take the uh, the creators of the show. If you were to take their word for it, this wasn't one of their best episodes, but uh, I I really enjoyed it, and it sounded like uh, Brett really did as well. So just a fun. A fun episode to do, and uh, looking forward to when Brett comes back. So, Bub, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can reach out to me via email at talksnicked at gmail.com, just T-A-L-K-S-N-I-K-T at gmail.com. Of course, we also have a Discord up and running for Talking Snicked and Saturday Morning Snicktoon. So if you like either of these shows that we do on this feed, or if you like Wolverine or X-Men, or maybe you just want to jump in, let me know I'm a bonehead and that I have a a, a bad podcast and you just want to hop right out, that's fine. Uh, there will be a link to join the Discord in the show notes. So uh, if you are interested in joining that, go ahead and click that link and uh, welcome to the Discord. Looking forward to having you there. Uh, so stay tuned for next week as myself and another returning special guest host break down X-Men, the animated series, season four, episodes three and four, which is a, a two-part episode, Sanctuary, parts one and two. So uh, that's a good one. I actually already have that one recorded at the time that I'm recording this outro, and I know that that's going to be a fantastic episode as well. So again, tune in next week. Uh, for that. And of course, look next month um, as of the time this episode's coming out. So March of 2023, look for Talkin' Snicked to become Talkin' X Factor. That's right, Blork. We are going to cover the Peter David run, the initial, I should say, Peter David run of X Factor. So from issue 71 all the way through 89, as well as both of the annuals that he contributed to in his brief but monumental run on uh, early 90s x-factor so looking forward to uh to getting that one out as well i'm already working on those episodes now to make sure that we get to take advantage of the fact that 
March of 2023. We've got five Wednesdays in there. So uh, I should be able to break this up over five episodes of Talking Snicked. I, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to call it. I guess maybe just Talking X Factor. Uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll try to come up with a clever name like Talking Banff, but uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to. Oh, well. Until next time, bub. <laughs>